Hey everyone, it's Jonathan here. Hope you had a great summer. Want to take a quick second to say thank you for sticking with us through the name change, through the format change. We know last season there were some bumps in the road. We had to figure out all of that on the fly and we really liked where it ended up, but there was one piece missing that we felt like we needed for this season. So with that in mind, welcome to season eight. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in Hey everyone, welcome to season eight of the Tension Podcast. We're a show that acknowledges that most of life and faith is lived in the tension between the two extremes. Each week, we look at what many of us were taught growing up in evangelical churches. We weigh it against what our current culture is saying, and we try to find what Jesus has for us in the tension between the two. We haven't met. My name is Jonathan Carone, and we're joined as always by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. Oh man, I love new seasons, uh, and I love starting off new seasons with uh, with a bang. And I think this one is going to be good because um, no matter what, this kind of like this is going to piss off people because I, I don't care where you are on on this spectrum. Uh, you probably think you're right. And uh, and everybody else is wrong. So I'm excited to talk about it. And we think we're right, too. So we, we are just as much a part of that as everyone else is. But as we were planning out this season, we noticed a theme happening a lot in what we were wanting to talk about. And that is the culture war that is going on all around us. So to give you a little preview for what this season is going to look like, we're going to spend each week looking at a few different pieces of the culture war today and the next two weeks we're going to look at the societal pieces all around us this week sort of an overview next week we're looking at boycotts and cancel culture and then in two weeks we're going to be talking about the war around wokeness that we're seeing everywhere um it's going to be as messy as it sounds so we're going to hopefully have some fun with it then after those three weeks we're going to be spending three weeks looking at the church's response to the societal pieces One week, we're going to be talking about what the true enemy of the church is, and we're not going to tell you what that is yet because we want you to come back in three weeks to hear that. Then we're going to spend an episode talking about scandals and cover-ups and why seemingly good people make the decisions to cover up things they know are wrong. And then we'll be spending a week talking about how we view the good teaching that comes from pastors and organizations who have been shown to have less than great parts about who they are and what they were doing. But then after those six weeks, we're doing something really fun. Eric, can you tell people what we're doing in six weeks? Well, we want to do a QA. and a We want to do a mailbag because I think all these things that, you know, we come up with over the past couple of seasons uh, kind of come out of our own heads and what we're thinking about and, and really what, what we, uh, what we are struggling with and wrestling with. But this time we want to come up with, you know, some questions from listeners on where we ask, answer your questions about the culture war. So that's going to be, coming out in October um, on the 23rd. We're going to be recording it on October 20th. So if you have any questions, you got to reach out to us. Go ahead and you can, you know, tweet us or what What would thread us? What would you do on, on threads now? I still don't thread? know how, we, how we're supposed to say that. Okay, so th- you could thread thread us at Jonathan underscore Caron uh, and at Eric W712 or send us an email at hello at attention podcast. Dot com. Send it in by Thursday, October 19th to get your question in the show. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure Jonathan would want it specifically around the culture war. I'll take any questions. 
I'll answer anything. <laughs> Whatever, you can send care. in any questions, but what yeah. the things that might make the show are the ones that go with this season, unless we don't get any questions and then we'll just use other random ones. So sure. send those in. Maybe that'll make threads worth it for me. If you actually send your questions in there, because right now threads is garbage and I don't like it. All right. So in our culture today, we currently have two groups on the extreme ends who are at a war with each other. Mm -hmm. On one end, you have the fundamentalists and the evangelicals. And if we're honest, those two groups have merged at this point. They once were different groups. That is basically the same group at where we are today. This is the group that most of us listening to this grew up in. And this group is waging war against anything that doesn't explicitly promote white evangelical Christian fundamentalism. They want our society and our government to reflect their interpretation of the Bible. Well, that's, and that's, and they key. Treat that's key because I think like their interpretation, them, they would say it's not, you know, we're, we're not going against anything that doesn't explicitly promote white evangelical Christian fundamentalism. It's their version of the truth, right? Which happens to be heavily skewed towards white evangelical Christian fundamentalism. Correct. And they treat anything outside of that interpretation as unchristian at best and at worst a hostile attack on their beliefs. Right. And they act as if they bring they, they act as if they're they are the prosecutor and they have to bring charges against any action in order to prosecute it and sentence it to a death. You said happy holidays. You didn't say Merry Christmas. My rights are being infringed. You're at war against Christianity. Uh, Starbucks red cups. Ah, burn everything. I'm glad you mentioned the red cups. So I didn't have to this time. Normally it's me mentioning the red cups. All right. So that's one end. On the other end, you have secular progressives who view any type of religious conviction as bigotry and hatred. And the best way I can describe this is something that most people probably didn't hear about, but it's an example that I find is probably the epitome of what this looks like. And it happened in late June. President Biden was asked something about abortion while he was campaigning. His response was, quote, I am a practicing Catholic. I'm not big on abortion, but guess what? Roe v. Wade got it right. He then went on to say that Roe v. Wade cut in a place where the vast majority of religions have reached agreement. He said the first three months or so were between a woman and her family. The next three months were between a woman and her doctor. The final three months, quote, unless you are in a position where your physical health is at stake, you can't do it. The majority of Americans agree with this statement. Right. The majority of or. Almost the majority of Christians believe this statement. The majority of non-white Christians agree with this statement. However, the far-left progressive camp came after the president because he said he wasn't big on abortion because of religious reasons, and he didn't support full access to abortion without limits. So they went on to say that he was projecting his beliefs onto others when he simply acknowledged his religious beliefs and it wasn't the right message to be sent. And it was what they were saying. So because they did, he didn't fully go into their camp. He was bigoted and hated. Yeah. And it's any, any time you have any sort of limits on, um, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to say the freedoms of others, but 
anytime you put any sort of limits that say, hey, I know we're kind of allowed to do this, but we choose not to, or I have a boundary here, or I have a guardrail here, or I have a religious conviction here, you know, now all of a sudden that becomes a projection of your your bigoted re- beliefs. And it's like, sure, in some cases maybe, but like definitely when we're talking about the extreme cases, uh, that side throws them all into the same bucket, which similar to what we were talking about on the other side, it's just not, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not fair. You know, it's not being intellectually honest. Yeah. And we could, we could have hours long shows talking about both sides of these extremes. But the one thing we want you to keep in mind as you listen to this today is that on this show, we focus more on the Christian side of things than we do on the secular side of things. There are certainly critiques and criticisms on the secular progressive side, but if you're in the church space, you're hearing those in other places. Right. So we're not going to spend a much as much time on that. And since our background is evangelical Christianity, we're going to speak into that more so than progressive secularism because that's not our background. Right. But what I don't want you to think is that our silence on that side of things is any way acceptance or approval yep. because it's not. We're just speaking into our audience and our background so that we can look at things in maybe a different way than we were taught growing up. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So with that out of the way, let's talk about how we live in a culture war. Before we can do that, we have to start with acknowledging that culture wars are not new and they always lead to fewer people following Jesus. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Say that again for the people in the back there, Jonathan. <laughs> write that down, right? If you're, if you're that pastor, it's like, I, I don't see you writing down any notes. I'm not up here preaching this for me. You know, it's like, okay. Anyway, but write that, say it again, because I think that that's the important part. Culture wars are not new, uh-huh. and they always lead to fewer people following Jesus. That's that's the key right there. Underline that. If you are in the evangelical, if you consider yourself an evangelical, and your bottom line is, I want to bring more people to Christ, that's the, that's the thesis to underline here. Which is kind of sort of what we were told to do right. by Jesus himself. Right. So no big deal there or anything. All right, so that's the thesis. I want to back up and defend the thesis. and tell you what's going on here. I found a quote this week from Providence Mag. In it, uh, author John Barrett quotes a Baptist preacher. Here's what that Baptist preacher said. Christian civilization has arrived at the great crisis of its history and is in the most urgent need of all moral power to overcome the wrongs which have throttled other nations and civilizations. The will of God revealed in Christ, human duty, and the motives of self-protection alike, summon Christian men singly and collectively to put their hands to the plow and not look back till public morality shall be at least as much Christianized as private morality now is. Hmm. Was that said at the 2023 Southern Baptist Convention this year, Eric? I feel like that's an interview that happened on Tucker Carlson's show. That quote came from 1907. Ah, gotcha. So 120 years ago. Yeah, I was going to say 150 years ago. Yeah. So we're going back to 1907, but we can go back even further. Mm. In 1885, another preacher described a national culture war between Christianity and, quote, 
a collection of domestic perils, including Catholicism, Mormonism, socialism, intemperance, wealth, urbanization, and immigration. Christians of that day in 1885 viewed, quote, clusters of poor Catholics from Italy, Ireland, and Germany to be a national concern. (laughs) There ain't nothing new under the sun, is there? Those people, man. I just, I think about this because it's always funny to me being a, like, you know, a video game guy grew up with modern warfare and, you know, grew up with call of duty and stuff like that. Imagine if, imagine if we were in like 1880 and they're making these uh, PlayStation games instead of the enemy being the people with the brown skin from, you know, an unnamed country in the middle East. <laughs> it's just like people who, Italians who with pizza. yeah, it's, it's like, like, it's pizza. like guys, guys with, with mustaches, you know, Giuseppe, Giuseppe, you know, it's like all this, this <laughs> you're cruising the mean streets of Venice, trying to take out all the evildoers. Uh, a guy in a in a red plumber jumpsuit and a and a green plumber jumpsuit are you know attacking New York. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, in the yep. same article, Barrett writes that while the religious leaders of this culture war had political victories at the time, it came at a at a cost. Here's a quote: World War, World war One, considered at the time a holy war for the soul of Western civilization had a devastating impact on rank-and-file parishioners. Young men returned from the front lines, disillusioned with Christianity and national reform. Church attendance and contributions plummeted. Mission agencies struggled to find recruits. And Christian institutions underwent a painful split between theologically liberal modernists and theologically conservative fundamentalists. The movement achieved one of its most stunning, if short-lived, political victories in its death throes, Prohibition. And Eric... When I, I, I'm just now connecting this, but when I read that earlier this week, as I was preparing, I'm like, okay, I I get that. And I, I connected to the cold war, which we're going to get to in a minute. Yeah. But that all sounds an awful lot like the Iraq and Afghanistan, the wars as well, as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely does. I think there's, there's that think about, um, that piece there's a piece of like going to war or sacrificing something you know if you kind of break down war to its component parts you're sacrificing a lot of things to battle something else but for a a a separate goal right so you send men and women into battle to fight other men and women that have nothing to do with the the the, the piece on the side so in in modern wars or more recent wars it was like for democracy and against communism right it's kind of social that that sort of thing but like even even now you have it and then there's a piece of like there's this cultural war going on where you have christians that are getting co-opted by again co-opting elements outside of christianity in order to try and win something separate to to show that it's not new go match prohibition world war 1 I, I always struggle saying it ended in 1918 Prohibition started in 1920, and it was repealed in 1933. After it was repealed, the fundamentalist Christian political arm, the culture war Christians, they fell back for a couple decades. They had been defeated, they had been beaten, and they fell back. And then it was the Cold War, having an authoritarian government in the Soviet Union that led to the rise of evangelicalism and the new anti-communist, anti-government form of Christianity. 
And that's when in 1976, Presbyterian minister Francis Schaeffer, he started the new version of the culture war by connecting the domestic social issues of the time, the sexual revolution, abortion, civil rights, all those things. He began connecting those to international communism and making the claim that liberals in America were marching in step with the communists abroad. Hmm. And here's what I find incredibly ironic. Francis Schaeffer considered the Baptist pastor I quoted earlier from 1907 uh-huh. to be a humanist on the side of the liberals. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Like that. <laughs> Uh, sometimes some of these things are just so stupid that I don't even want to comment on it, but that's our job. Anyway, here's here's what it brings up for me. I, I don't know if you saw this. I'm guessing you did because you're in the church world. But, uh, you know, in 19, 1999, 2000, whatever, like right when I was in the middle of high school, the Omega Code came out. I don't know if you saw that movie, Omega Code. It had Casper Van Dien in it, Michael York and uh, Michael Ironside, you know, like it. it it seemed like it should have been a big thing, but this was this would have been like one of those things that now uh, um, uh, Kevin Sorbo would star in today, or or Jim Caviezel. You know, it was kind of like from the from the Christian side. But the Omega Code was all about um, kind of the end times, and the bottom line was like they were forcing end time things to happen by um, kind of going through and saying, okay, these were the events that were prophesied to happen so we are going to force those events to happen therefore it will kind of create the domino effect for what's supposed to happen in the end times and i think that that's just kind of what's happening here where there's there's this group of people that want to be you know they want to cosplay the bible they want to dress up and they're i'm i'm david you know i'm gonna be king david i'm yeah i'm this guy and it's like so what we want to do is we want to bring some of the stories we see in biblical times to to a modern experience and what happened the nation of Israel was uh, it was isolated and it was the the underdog and it was always fighting other things. It's just very Old Testament belief of that. And then going like the early church, we're an Acts 2 church. And instead of seeing it as the Acts 2 church, that's like we shared all of our possessions. We made sure nobody had any wants or needs. We took care of the widows and the orphans. You know, and we were meeting together and there was this Christian love and everybody saw us as different. It's like, nope. We are going to be the ones that are oppressed by the overwhelming majority of the, the secular government. And it's just this weird sense. It's like you're reading the wrong parts of the Bible trying to conjure up. It's like if we can only just be this oppressed group, then we will be more Christian and more like the, the, you know, the early church leaders. And uh, spoiler alert, if you watch The Omega Code, it doesn't work out that well. Um, I w- actually wouldn't even recommend the movie. Yeah, no, I'd, re- I'd recommend it as like a like a kind of not a hate watch, but a watch where you're like, this is going to be poorly acted and this is not going to be a fun movie to watch, but I'm going to watch it anyway. That's my plug. No sponsor, no ad. (laughs) (laughs) What I find interesting is, I mean, so you said that was 99, right? 99. Yep. Okay. So I mentioned earlier that after the cold war or after world war one, there was a decline in Christianity. Yeah. After the Cold War, evangelicalism peaked. The numbers peaked in the 90s. Mm. So out of the highest number of evangelicalism in America, a movie was created about how we are persecuted and people hate us. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then 
if you look at the statistics, in 2007, 78% of U.S. adults identified as Christian. Ooh. In 2021, that number was down to 63%. Look at that. In 2007, 16% of U.S. adults identified as no religion. In 2021, that number was up to 29. So Christianity lost 15%. No religion gained 13%. I don't know what happened to the other two. Sure. But what we know is that out of this culture war. <laughs> I know what happened to the conjure- other two. The other two was, <laughs> this was uh, the guy in uh, Backwoods, Alabama or South Carolina, whatever. Like, I'm, I ain't answering your questions because I, I think there's a government <laughs> conspiracy here. No, I just want to know, are you, do you consider yourself Christian or unidentified here? No religion. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to the government because it's all connected. You guys got all this thing connected. It's in our money. It's in our vaccines. It's in our coffee. It's in our drinking water. And I'm not answering you. You better get off my porch before I tell you a little bit of nine millimeter. Before I give you a little 12 gauge justice. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I'm going to give you to the count of 10 to get your ugly yellow. No good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. Okay, Johnny, I'm going. One, two. Keep the change, you filthy animal. I think that's what happened to the 2%. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay. But seriously, (laughs) spoil. I mean, this is like foreshadowing for a couple of episodes from now. Christianity identified as Christian versus identified as no religion. Let that keep mark that in the back of your brains for a couple episodes from now. Christianity lost 13% no religion gain. I mean, Christianity lost 15% no religion gain. 13%. Go ahead and bring us back. Well, to bring us back, the most powerful religion in the world, and especially in America, claimed to be persecuted, claimed to say that there was a war on them, tried to grab political power instead of doing the things that Jesus told us to do, and lost 15% of our people who claim to be a part of us. Yep. And it has happened over and over. I mean, going back to the 1800s, going back to World War I, going back to the Cold War, all of this has happened every time that we have started this culture war where we act like the world is against us when it's not. Spoiler alert again, yep. we're talking about that idea in a couple weeks. Every time we have done that, we have lost influence and people have walked away from their faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's coming through. I mean, we, we, this, this seems to be a, a calm, one of our common threads. But again, it is an element outside of Christianity that's co-opting a Christian base for their own gain. So that's why we have this rage bait. It's to boost viewership. It's to win elections. It's to gain power. And what we're sacrificing there, what Christians are sacrificing is they get this little carrot of you might have more power or you might have more protection or your way of life is going to be preserved. Or even, you know, in, in the best meaning side of like, we are, we are doing the right thing or what God's will is. But in reality, it's just doing, you know, it's like, if you look at any Fox news host or any, you know, of these clickbait articles, it's like, they're all they're trying to do is utilize this issue, whatever the issue is of the day, to 
get them more money and get them more power. Because there is there is no advertising dollars, there 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 is no money or viewership in somebody coming on the on the news like they did in the 50s, 60s, whenever you know, like somebody presenting something from a middle of the road standpoint and saying, "Hey, this is kind of what both sides look like, and this is kind of the the moderate view." No, we need to present the extreme to rally people to get upset. So they keep watching, so they keep clicking, so they keep commenting, so they keep the engagement up. And I think it's only going to get worse with our new modern way of connecting online, social media, and you know the fact that you're more connected to the extreme view than you ever have been before. And what happens is when normal, run-of-the-mill Christians get caught in the crossfire of that political war they look around and say hey this line of christianity does not look like what jesus the jesus i read about in the bible right it does like what this line of christianity is pushing does not match what i see in the new testament i don't want to be a part of that and what ends up happening is more often than not, they end up walking away from Christianity as a whole because that's easier than it is to find the people who are not involved in the culture war side of Christianity. Because, again, we stop talking about the benefits. I mean, think about that. And, and you know, we, we have to give our, our each episode plug. But as marketers, we know that you have to go through and talk about problems. That's true. You have to talk about failure. You have to talk about what's at stake if you don't do the thing. But at, you know, we, we've used this a couple of times, but it's like, if all you ever do is talk about problems, it's actually going to turn people off because it's like adding salt to a recipe. Some salt is good, too much is bad. And so I think what you're seeing a lot in the deconstruction movement or the people that are going from deconstruction to deconversion to religiously unaffiliated is like, wait, why am, why am I a part of this 501c3 religion? Why am I a part of this bigger group? I'm not seeing any benefit at this point. All I'm seeing is arguments and I'm seeing the people that I love start to turn into, um, you know, a, a political pawn for the religious extremes. And it just doesn't feel like there's any benefits anymore, you know, or I can't get the same benefits I, I, I did out of worship and out of, out of going in a communal space and feeling connected with the creator of the universe. When I have to filter through somebody talking about, uh, you know, who's a groomer. And if you use a they, them pronoun, how you're going to go to, go to hell, like that kind of stuff is just, it, it's distracting and it's off putting and it's not necessary for the, the thriving of our own personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And this <laughs> yeah. is where I yeah. have to, well, no, it's like, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at the time I'm looking at what's going on. I'm having to play, like traffic cop here because we right. could stay on this for a long time. Like yep. We, we yep. both, we both know we can, I think. And we'll go into this. it more in future episodes. So, yeah. So we've spent 30 minutes or so talking about the history of the culture war and what the culture war looks like from a Christian side, but we don't want to talk about just problems. We do want to talk about solutions and what we're going to do for the next little bit is talk about how we as Christians survive a culture war? How do we make it through 
the bombs being thrown around us and actually come out on the other side, follow not only following Jesus, but loving Jesus. Yep. And the first thing I think we have to do, this sounds basic, but I'm amazed at how many people do not do this. We have to know what we actually believe. Mm-hmm. We have to go in and look at what the Bible actually says, what we believe. And we have to know the arguments on the other side. We can't be just proof texting ideas based on out of context verses. The reason the extreme right has so much influence over cultural Christians is because most Christians don't actually know what the Bible says or why they believe what they believe. Yep. The numbers, if you dive into the statistics of how many people claim Jesus or claim Christianity, but don't actually know what it teaches is staggering. Mm-hmm. And that's how people with loud voices and great communication styles can convince well-meaning Christians that the Bible says something that it actually doesn't. Yeah. I mean, think about, think about the, the way that you would hear it from people, right? It's like it, you, you can hear uh, the Bible says, or when I read in the Bible, or this is what I was reading in scripture, there's that level. And then it goes to pastor says now, I mean, I know you being in the South, you probably hear a lot more than me, but I, when I was tied into that sort of evangelical circle, it was like, Pastor says, pastor says, pastor says. So instead of going to the source, like you said, we've gone to tertiary, secondary sources where it's like, oh, this is what my pastor said. But now the conversation is even switched to like, did you hear what Tucker said? Did you hear what Trump tweeted? Did you hear what, you know, whoever, name your conservative, you know, name your, your fundamentalist talking head that's not actually even a Christian, Charlie Kirk, you know, some of these other people that you're just like, oh, so-and-so said this, or I read this, or I watched it on Fox News. And it's, it's not even coming back to, you examining and knowing what you believe you you've actually even substitute out substituted substituted yeah substituted out the the authority of your spiritual authority from a pastor and put it on to some person who's actually just a political talking head that wants to induce rage from you in order to gain more power gain more subscribers and I'm going to hit on that again in a minute, Eric. So I'm going to put a pin in that. Okay. But one of the things you hear us say a lot on this show is that Bible believing Christians who love Jesus and are trying to follow him can read the same book and come to different conclusions. Yep. We actually have to read the book though. You're right. We can't just take what someone else who claims to have read the book, what their interpretation is and use that as the basis for everything that we think and believe and how it applies to the topics of today. We have to know the arguments and we have to be educated so that we're not like wind whip waves being blown back and forth by these culture war Christians who are loud and who speak with authority in their voices. We can't, when we know the arguments and we know why we believe what we believe and what we actually believe, we can see those things and be like, hey, no, 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 no. That's wrong. Yep. And instead of actually saying, oh, well, X said it, so it must be true. Right. The next thing we have to do, and this gets to what you were saying a second ago, so I'm going to take that pen and pull it back out, is we have to love Jesus more than our culture loves politics. Yep. 
loving Jesus and being involved in politics are not mutually exclusive. You can love Jesus, follow him daily and be involved in politics, but you have to love him more than you love politics. If we love and or, trust or your Jesus, comfort or your way of life, like put all yes. those things in the same category. Cause I think some people would be like, yeah, of course I love Jesus more than I love politics. Okay. Do you love Jesus more than your, uh, than what your political view allows your, you know, your way of life to live? Oh shoot. Do you love Jesus enough to sacrifice some of your quote unquote freedoms um, in order to, you know, no. Cause many people would say, well, I love the, like when it comes down to it, you love the constitution more than you love Jesus, or you love your interpretation of the constitution more than you love Jesus. You love your way of life more than you love Jesus. You, you love preserving your comfortable upper middle class position more than you love Jesus. And if we can get to the point where we actually love Jesus more than those things, we won't operate with fear towards our culture right. or our government. We will say Jesus is in control. We know what he's doing. And so I may not agree with what the government is doing. I may not agree with where culture is going, but I won't feel the need to wage war against it mm -hmm. based off of fear mongering ideas because I know Jesus is in control. Well, and that's why I say like adopt the average white woman mantra, you know, like all the typical things that you'd see in like a Ray Dunn, you know piece of artwork or whatever from Christianity. It's like, know who's in charge here. Stop acting like you need to defend God. Stop acting like if I don't do X, it won't happen, right? If I don't, he won't, you know, it's kind of one of the things I used to like, stop it. You know, I think like if you are convinced who is in actually in charge, if you are convinced that everything's going to work out and that God is in control, then you don't need to wage war because you don't, there is no war. There is no battle. You know, there is no fight to be had because you know who is in charge. And I know some of the listeners, if we have any that are more on the culture war side are saying, well, we're supposed to wage war against sin. Yes. Our personal sin. Right. We are not called to wage war against cultural sin, which we will get to in a minute. So I just want to, I want to say that right now that like, that's not the war we're supposed to be waging. Well, what about the Old Testament and God calling us to blah, blah, blah? Like, uh, again, are you Israel? No. Are you Jewish? No. Right? Are you following all of the Old Testament? No. Let's just stop that. Yep. If we love Jesus more than our culture loves politics, then we are able to operate without fear. That doesn't mean we don't stand by our convictions. And we have to know why those exist and what they are. But loving Jesus above our politics will change the way we approach our politics and the rhetoric that's used around them. You can be a hardcore conservative who believes that small government and low taxes is the way to go because people are supposed to take care of each other and that's the best way possible. I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. I have some disagreements with you. But if you, if that's your belief, sure. The issue is not that belief. The issue is waging war from a culture standpoint and vilifying those who disagree with you. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big part of this culture war issue. The other piece of it in this little section is loving Jesus more than our politics requires us to spend more time with Jesus than we spend with cable news and Twitter and Facebook. Oof. And whatever our favorite talking head is saying. Ouch. 
Yikes. Yeah, take a look at your uh, screen time report on your iPhone and see uh, see which apps you spend more time in, right? I feel like there's a there's a sermon illustration in there, like, where's the Bible app on that list versus your Fox News? Well, the average American uh, spends about seven hours per day on screens of some sort. Yikes. I am firmly above average. <laughs> <laughs> but that includes work. I don't. That I includes say, work. It's not just. It's not just playing on social. Media. I, I don't know that I've ever been above average in many things in life. But when it comes to screen time, <laughs> I am crushing it. I am like I'm destroying the curve. So we are consuming all sorts of content on our devices all day. At the same time, the average Christian only attends church one to two times per month. So, as Eric, you have said on this show many times, we have to be careful about what and how much we consume because it's not the thing that is toxic, it is the dose. And if we are spending more time with cable news and foxnews.com than we are with Jesus himself, then we will be discipled by cable news and not by Jesus. And we got a problem when that happens. Yeah. And I mean, think back, you know, for some of you too, like you remember with your parents, like I think about my parents' generation, how many hours a week did they spend listening to Rush Limbaugh on the radio or people like that? You know, so it's not like it's changed. It's just the medium is different. So you have access to those sorts of things. It's like you're, you're going, if all you ever hear is someone referring to people who need extra help as welfare queens and thugs, think about what that's going to do for you when you're hearing that for however many hours a, a week, it's like, that's going to be toxic for you because that dose is, is just constantly dripping in you. And this wasn't in our notes, but what we consume around our kids mm -hmm. is going to be wildly impactful for how they end up viewing the world around us as well. Oh yeah. Okay, the next thing we have to do in order to live in the culture war is we have to learn how to communicate what we believe. And this is a hard one for most of us, but I think it's incredibly important because the culture war Christians have their talking points. Their political leaders are giving, giving the talking points through memes, through cable news clips, through tweets that they're consuming over and over. So we have to learn how to communicate what the Bible actually says so that people can follow the real Jesus and not the political Jesus or the culture war Jesus or anything like that. We have to know what the Bible says about the issue and how to communicate it, or else the culture war Christians are going to be able to dominate the communication and get their message out more than Jesus's actual message. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And finally, this is probably, if not the most important, one of the most important, we have to love others the way Jesus loves them. Wow. It sounds incredibly simple. And to be 100% honest, I stole that phrase from the kids ministry at my church because it's something that we teach our kids from the ground up. But we are not called to make enemies out of those with different beliefs than us. That comes from Matthew 5, 43 to 47. Mm -hmm. We aren't called to force our beliefs on others who don't believe the same as us. Matthew 10, 14, where Jesus tells the ones who are sent out to shake the dust off their feet as they leave town. 
we are called to love people the way Jesus loves them and the way he loves us. And I just want to know, like, for the people that disagree on this side or would see it differently or anything else, like it's what, what benefit you see the statistics you see, but like, what benefit is it? Is there in you getting all up in arms about how other people are living and persecuting them in that? And I think, you know, this, this year I turned 40 and I was starting to write down a list of things. God, you're old. I know old man. Actually, my mother-in-law commented the other day. She's like, Eric, I never noticed how much gray hair you have on the side of your head. And I was like, Oh, Great. Cool. Anyway. Uh, but one of the things that I was thinking about was like, what are the things that I I'm leaving in my thirties or what's different about me in my forties and my thirties. And I think the idea of empathy in general, it's taken me this long in life to value empathy as highly as I do now. And they go like, it's just not worth it anymore. It's just not worth it to, you know, let people live their lives and love them the way that they are, you know? And like, is that, is that going to take away from my religious experience or is that going to destroy my salvation or ruin my witness? I say, no, I say no. And I say, it's not, it, it has not benefited me to this point to uh, call other people out and to wage war against their sin and to wage war against the culture. That's different than me. Those things have, have rarely, if ever prov- provided any sort of fruit other than me just feeling better about myself and self-righteousness. So if anybody else is like me or like me in my twenties and thirties, like let's just replace that religious self-righteousness. That's really based on fear because you're afraid that if other people are allowed to live the way that they're living and you are okay with just loving them the way that they are, you're afraid that that means that there's something wrong about the way that you live, or you're afraid that that means that there's going to be something bad for you. So replace this insecure, self-centered, self-righteousness with empathy for others. Because I think that that's what, you know, what Jesus, if I see him in the scripture, other people are upset, like specifically the woman caught in adultery, which again, it's interesting. We say the woman caught in adultery because there's both people involved. He He's sitting there and he's just calm, cool and collected riding in the dirt while they're all arguing and up in arms about, uh, about the, the war on whatever is just happening. It's like, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy that when things are happening and people are disagreeing and they're fighting over issues of morality, I want to be calm, cool, and collected and know the truth and the value. And then follow up with, is anybody here persecuting you? Neither am I. Sure, go and sin no more. But I'm not going to say go and sin no more first. It's going to be, I see you. I accept you. And I'm going to empathize with you. If you want my opinion on what's happening, then I'm going to lovingly walk you through that. But I've also learned in my 20s and 30s and now looking back and now being 40 is like unsolicited opinions are rarely taken, are rarely integrated, are rarely used in other people's lives. And I think a bunch of us Christians want to give out our unsolicited opinions to a group of people that don't give a crap about what we think. Russell Moore was quoted saying, None of the prostitutes and tax collectors around Jesus were confused about his stance on sex trafficking or imperial extortion. Mm. And yet none of them were confused about the fact he loved them. Mm. And he did not fear being put out of the in-group for being associated with them. And I think to piggyback on what you're saying, Eric, right there, 
yes, we need to speak truth when we're, when we have the opportunity to speak truth, mm -hmm. but we don't have to yell it when we're not asked. Right. We don't have to prosecute things that may go against Christianity. We know the world's not going to follow Jesus. Jesus told us that. Right. It's not our job to create a culture and a world around us that reflects Jesus. Because if we actually read the book, we know that's not going to happen until he returns. Yep. So that's why he told, he didn't tell us to go reform the government. Right. He didn't or tell us to go the reform cult. Oh, well, yeah. Or to go reform the secular culture. He told us to love others and to love him and to follow him daily. And by doing that, others would be attracted to him. And what we have seen throughout culture over and over and over again is that when we wage war against the culture at large, less people follow Jesus. Yeah. And not just, not, not just fewer people follow Jesus. More people walk away from following him because that's not what they wanted. And that's not what they saw in Jesus. And what is our reaction? We justify that action by going, yep, wipe the dirt off my feet. Ah, I guess that's on God, right? Like they, they saw the truth and they turned away from it and blah, blah, blah. It's like, they're the, they're the seed that, blah. come on, man. Again, self-centered, self-righteous, because you're insecure. Instead of looking going, did I approach this the wrong way? You're going, ah, yeah, well, that's problem with them. And I think the one thing that you said is like, yes, we need to speak the truth in love when we have the opportunity. I would substitute out that opportunity word or say the opportunity isn't as, as important as, as when we have permission. And the invitation. The invitation. Yeah. And too many of us or too many Christians are in a spot where, again, self-righteous, we think that it is our job that we always have permission. We have, you know, we have an obligation. You don't have an obligation. You need to wait until you've been given permission, until you've been given the opportunity, until someone else says, hey, Jonathan, I, there's something different about you. And I want to know, or, Hey, Jonathan, this thing that I'm doing isn't working out. What do you think about it? Right. That's, that's ultimately going to be much more effective than sitting out on the, on the proverbial corner with a bullhorn. You know, one of my favorite guys that I, I think needs a, needs to have kind of a, a Renaissance Rob Bell, right? He had a NUMA video on bullhorn guy. And that was one of my favorites because he was talking about that. Like if you're the bullhorn guy that's just shouting into the ether on the corner, you are not helping people. You are not helping them to move closer to Jesus. In fact, as a Christian, when I walk by bullhorn guy at a sporting event or whatever, like I don't want to be associated with that either. I'm going to a Savannah Bananas game tonight, and I really hope I don't see bullhorn guy. At the end of the day, as we close out this episode, we, you have to ask yourself two questions. Number one, is our end goal creating a culture that reflects what projects our beliefs on everyone? Or is our end goal helping people discover how much Jesus loves them mm -hmm. and how he came to reconcile us to God? Yep. I'm not saying a culture that reflects Jesus is bad. But what is our end goal? Is it to create that culture or is it to show people how much Jesus loves them and how he came to reconcile us to God? So that's the first question you got to ask yourself. Second question, is our goal to win cultural arguments mm. or is it to love our friends and neighbors the way Jesus loved them? 
what is your goal in following Jesus on an everyday basis? The answer to those questions will ultimately be what leads you to what side of the culture war you fight on. Yeah. I think your answer to what your overall goal is should influence the way that you approach things. So are you beginning with a goal in mind and it are your actions reflecting that? And I think that the biggest thing that I can think through is, is, you know, it comes down to confidence. I think you're going to, uh, you're going to treat others poorly and you're going to be self-centered when you do not actually have that confidence. And so I would argue that for many people, they don't want to admit it, but their goal in the way that they interact with others in the culture war is because they want to have more confidence that they're right. They want to have more of the quote unquote blessed assurance rather than starting from a place of confidence and knowing who you are and knowing who you represent and knowing that God has it in control. Every single time Christianity has waged a war on culture, we sacrifice long-term influence for short-term political wins. Culture war Christianity only ends with less people, with fewer people following Jesus. Mm -hmm. If we truly care about the Great Commission, if we truly care about helping our friends and neighbors experience life different, and if we truly care about loving others like Jesus, we will focus less on winning the culture war and more on being daily reflections of Jesus to a culture who desperately needs to see him. That's it for today. Next week, we're going to be looking at boycotts, cancel culture, and the hypocrisy of both of them. If you want to send us a question for our mailbag Q&A that's coming up on October 23rd, Please get us get those to us by Thursday, October 19th. You can send them on social. Eric is at Eric W712 on all the major platforms. I am Jonathan underscore Corone on them as well. Or you can email your questions to hello at tensionpodcast.com. If you like the show, do us a favor and rate and review us wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app if you haven't already. Share this episode with a friend if you found it interesting. And as always, thanks for making us a part of your day, and we'll talk to you again next week. Cool.